Apologies in advance. I'm recording and editing this on a different computer tonight. Not that the sound is particularly amazing on all the other episodes, but nonetheless, there may be hiccups in the usual quality. One thing to know about this episode. The Celtic year does not end in December like our modern year does, but at the end of October, on a day called Samhain. The story of Samhain is central to two very different stories in this season, so I won't go into too much detail there. But the land comes alive again as spring turns into summer, and Beltane, at the beginning of May, marks the beginning of the harvest season, which is very relevant to the Irish year. Other holidays will come into play during this season, but not yet. For this episode, that's all you need to know. Now, let's get to it. Previously, on Godacy. The cards are on the table. Leaders of the fearsome Fomorians and Tuatha Danann cannot have peace and the final battle will commence upon the arrival of the Fomorian King Indec from the islands north of Ireland. Though an attempt was made on the lives of the leaders of the Tuatha Danann, Lu and the Spear of Asal sent them running, including his terrible one-eyed grandfather, Balor. Mist then swallowed Lu, his horse Inbar, and the hound Felinus, bringing them to a shore where the fairy woman Birog demands that a debt must be paid. Welcome to Goddessy, Episode 18, The Island of Ancestors. She was a fusion of her two appearances before, the willowy woman of Tirnanog, the land of youth, and the terrifying creature of angles and woman-like features that was more mist than woman. The fairy woman Birog stood in the water, her feet disappearing into it, as the hound Felinus circled her feet, barking. What debt? I made no bargain with the Andana she, said Lu, considering carefully. It was true. He had made no bargain. The horse, the sword, the hound, the clothes, and armor, all had been given to him freely. What was she referring to? You did not, that is true. But the deeds of your father were many, and among them were his dealings with other people. Fairy friend, he was called. And was he? Her smile became toothy, showing fangs that were not there before. To some. Nonetheless, his debt falls to you, for you were part of the bargain. And what is that debt? How am I responsible for a bargain I had no part in making? Perhaps I can give clarity, boy. Came a voice from the sea, beyond the mist. It came into view, pushed by a wind so precise, Lou did not feel it. Within it was his foster father, Lord of Tirnanog, Manannan MacLear, and at his feet, three other hounds. Felinus began barking and baying, his brethren once again near him, as well as his true master. Lou smiled at his foster father, but felt small by comparison to him and his massive ship. Manannan threw him a rope. Pull me ashore, Lou. He pulled the magic ship, more like pulling a cloud, and it acquiesced easily all the way until it hit land. Then the weight of a true ship manifested, Lou feeling the tug of every aching plank of wood resisting him. Further, boy, I can step ashore but one day a year, and this is not that day. Lou obeyed, using his not inconsiderable strength to pull him onto the beach. The three dogs jumped out of the ship and joined Felinus, running up and down the misty shore. You've sent me quite a few souls, Lou, son of Kian, son of Ethnu. Both your parents now reside on my shore, but so now are Turian and his sons. More than a few Fomorians have attempted to join my ranks, but they now rest at the bottom of the sea. 
Your destiny is coming to fruition, but so too must the bargain that brought you to it. He reached down and produced a stool from the compartment at the front of the ship and handed it to Lou, then sat down himself within the ship. Lou joined him, Birog standing at the shore. Birog, you tell the tale. You are the one in it. She did as she was bade. I struck a chord of friendship with Kian, son of Dian Set, many years ago when he was a boy. The same as you were when I met you. We were fast friends, and I came to love the boy that became a man. So too did I befriend Taltu, soon to be wife of Yakin. She was a master of the land, and in doing the rites which swore her to the sovereign queens. Yet there was a catch. Who are the sovereign queens? The religion is mysterious in that way, and I offered her insight. She paused. Shall I give you insight? No need, came another voice, emerging from the fog. Soon three figures appeared, and Lou knew only one. On the left was the Morrigan, the amalgamation form rather than the three, holding a spear and covered in her raven feather cloak. Across from her was a blue woman, her skin like frost, glittering in the distant sunlight. She was old, impossibly old, her skin clinging to her bones. She wore what to Lou seemed like a sack, and a cold wind blew behind her. At the center was the most noble-looking woman Lou had ever seen, outshining Bridget and even more noble than Nuwana. Her hair was between blonde and auburn, curled at the ears, with emerald eyes and a blightless face. She wore a dress of green, the brightest Lou had ever seen, trimmed in gold, and a twerk about her neck encrusted in emerald gems and a cloak of ermine about her shoulder. Her lips were brightly colored, her cheeks flushed. Lou felt the very need to bow. Mananen did so, and so did Beardog. Lou did the same. Stand, son of Kian. I am Anya, kingmaker. No king stands in Ireland without my say-so. And so you stand. Lou did not understand, but did as he was bade. Anya, it's been too long, said Mananen, standing. She bowed her head to him, smiling. Indeed, just Mananen. Understand this, Lou. The sovereign queens are many, yet one. I am the one, the spirit of the land. Yet the island bears not my name. That belongs to Eru of the first generation, your ancestor and daughter of Danu. It was in that trick that the bargain was struck. The sovereign queens should not be divided between Tirnanog, where the dead reside, and Ireland, which is for the living. Manan produced more souls and gave them to Anya, the old woman, and the Morrigan. Anya and the old woman sat. The Morrigan did not, spear in hand. The Tuatha Dé Danann are the fifth generation of settlers to come to Ireland and settle it. Three previous generations were destroyed, wiped off the island. Each generation still produces a sovereign queen, a set of women who embody the better parts of their people. Among the Tuatha Dé Danann, Brigid and the Morrigan are among the most noble of souls, and in the times that come they will be regarded as such, faces of the goddess, of which there are many. Chalchu too, among the Fearbolg, will be the lone sovereign queen of her people. It was she who had the vision of what was to come. Ireland has always been verdant, an emerald island, and when the first settlers came here, when Eru and her sisters and their brother husbands came, the land was not empty, as many have told you. The old woman beside her laughed. I was there. I have always been here. I will be the last one here before the end. Lou squinted at her, trying to overcome just how many ages she wore on her face, impossibly old, older than the stars, the moon, and the sun, all but the sea. Who are you? 
Oh, dumb little boy. Wisdom is lost on the young. I am the Kalik, the queen of winter. It is I who summons the winds from the North Seas, covering the land in frost. I am the goddess of the Fomorians, whose homelands I oversee with my husband. And Ireland belongs to me, too. Half of the year, Ireland belongs to me. From Samhain at year's end to the birth of spring by Beltane, I head north once again. One day, your Bridget shall take the mantle of summer, but she is not ready. She has not tasted the wisdom of age yet to understand the power of her own fire. When she sings her song, she will be ready. Blue would have to remember that. So you rule Ireland for now? The Calic laughed. An unnatural order is still an order, I suppose you mean. Yes, as long as the Fomorians touch Irish soil, no more green rule, and winter will push into summer. Soon summer will be no more. This does not bother me, but if it continues, I will be alone in Ireland again. Now, I may be one of the most hated beings, but even hate is better than the emptiness of nothing. Lou nodded to that. Perhaps your reputation needs to be refined. More cruel laughter. My reputation is correct. I have no need to reform or for fancy words. I leave that to Anya. The noble queen smiled. That is what Chaltu saw in a vision. She saw the coming of the Fomorians encroaching on the good of the land. She knew her people would not be enough, but Kian's people could fight them. And most importantly, her friend's son would be the one to finally destroy the Fomorians once and for all. Ireland must come to ruin, she saw, and in that ruin, the final push will be made. Anya indicated around her. That is why the land is no longer green, Lou. This is the final push. The Fomorians must be destroyed, and the Tuathidi Danan must fight like a cornered rat against a hungry cat to do it. Lou did not like that. You are the one who makes the rules about a king being whole. You are the one who made the rules that keep Nuwada from ruling. Anya nodded. Lou looked at the Morrigan, who stared back at him. He was terrified but angry. And you knew this? You let this happen? She did not speak, but did not look away. Understand, Lou, said Anya. It's not a path Talchu set the island on lightly. She and Kian discussed it long, and with Birog. Birog brought word back to Tirnanog, where the Sovereign Queens there and Mananan knew that something must be done. Without souls, Tirnanog fades into memory, to nothingness. All ancestors die, for they are not remembered. She turned to Birog. Come upon the land, Birog. Mananan nodded to her, and she obeyed. As soon as she touched the land, she transformed into mist, her features becoming even more exaggerated. This is what the people of Ireland see when they see the She, called the fairies. Every soul in Tirnanog, every Andana She, becomes this creature here, yet in Tirnanog remains a noble soul. Their personality is, of course, the same following their own strange rules and morals, as dictated by the Son of the Sea. Mananan continued, Indeed, in every Andana She, my subject has a different set of rules. You can break them into classes as you like, create categories of fairies, but in the end, they are merely souls. Living souls? Lou interrupted. The she are the souls of the dead? Mananan nodded. That's one way to look at it. Indeed, your father, your mother, Turian, Yakid, they are inhabitants of the Silver City. And all of the inhabitants of Tirnanog are Andana she. 
If summoned to Ireland or elsewhere, they must take a new form, being no longer bound by the body. The minds of mortals must make sense of what they see, and so they do so. That is the form the she take. Lou brought the thought back around. And how does this tie back to Taltu? Anya answered him. Taltu saw the connection of Tirnanog to Ireland, regardless of who inhabits Ireland, whether the sons of Nyet, Firbolg, or children of Danu. The two islands exist together and need to be connected. She saw a solution. The she can live in the land in, and in Tirnanog. Already, the older she inhabit the land here. The power that she taught you to call upon? Lou considered. That's she? And think more carefully, Lou. Ireland is a land of stories. Every hill, every river, every lake and mountain and plain has a tale. You, already Lou, are tied to the land at the Nell in Connick, where you were said to have died at the hands of the sons of Yakid. That tale will outlive you, and you will live in the land there forever. Yakid lives there too, as he has a connection there. It is a place where the land can be summoned and magic worked there. Fairy magic, you realize. So Chalchu saw her answer, and Kian was the gateway. She saw that Balor would try to destroy you and your brothers. Kian never knew this, of course. He died not understanding what he had done. Chaltu told him that the fairy woman Birog would become a bodyguard for him and his descendants, and he thought it fair. That's why Birog saved you when Ilatha threw you in the sea at Balor's direction. She could only save one of you, and your two brothers perished. You saw them, Mananan said more somberly than Lou had ever heard him, when you were in Tirnanog. The two boys playing with the woman, your mother, and two brothers. Lou swallowed, trying to remember their faces. There was nothing there, nothing to remember, just laughter, distant, an echo. How did she die? My mother. Mananan sighed. What do you want me to tell you? A broken heart? Neglect? After the birth of you and your brothers, Balor took every servant from the quarters that Ethne resided in. She was given a store of food to survive upon, but she didn't bother. She had lost the only thing in the world that mattered to her, not knowing that you yet lived. She died, and now resides nobly in Ternanog. Lou left the thought there. So what was Chaltu's bargain? I don't understand that. Anya nodded. She is preparing the land for inhabitants. Her magic, as she spreads her magic across the land, is like a farmer preparing a field for planting. Ireland will belong to the she and become more powerful for it. They will weather many storms, distant religions, the forgetting of age, but they will survive by becoming spirits, stories, and the way people connect to the land. In what of the living? Lou was beginning to see the flaw in the bargain. No one spoke until Birog did. What of them? Does not the land of the living belong to the living? Many are the tales of the Andanashi tricking people, bringing children to their deaths in old stone circles, tricking new mothers into giving their sickly children away, and being given back changelings. This land is not the place for the Shi to run amok. Their ways are not our ways. They are anathema. That is no concern of ours, son of Kian. Who could have to leave this, glaring at Birog, at Anya, at Mananan? The latter two had a sadness to them, as if they could not stop it. But had they not been part of the bargain, Chaltu, servant of Anya and the other sovereign queens, had involved the servants of Mananan, and they had to have been given permission. 
He did not understand. And this deal is coming to fruition now, now that I am about to destroy the Pomorians? The Calyx smiled. Indeed, Lou. Isn't it lovely? Wisdom is wasted on the youth, as I said. Whether Fearbulk or Child of Danu, it remains true. He shook his head. No, no, I won't allow it. You have no choice, my boy, replied Mananan. My entire life has been a series of events that are beyond my choice. The choices I do get to make come with consequences to them because of the dealings of others. I did not ask for the feud with Turian. I paid for that in infamy. I did not ask to be the savior of my people, and I have suffered all my youth and my adult life for it. In this one thing, I will demand a choice, and I will make the right choice. Lou looked to the horizon beyond the sea. At the edge were many boats, upon which were a number of souls, all coming from Tirnanog. They were coming to take what was theirs. He pointed to Mananan. Give me one year. Delay one year, and grant me a way to make this work. I will not undo Chaltu's deal, but there is another way. The living must be allowed sovereignty of the land. They must be allowed to hear the stories of the dead, keep the ancestors alive growing up, and make their own stories. Otherwise, the order is flipped and Ireland is merely Tirnanog. Let me find a way. Manannan considered stroking his beard. Nearby, the dogs barked, dancing around to one another still. Anya, will you vouch for him or make the land forfeit? The noblewoman stood, taller than Lou, and offered Lou a hand. Can I trust you, son of Kian, as my priestess Chaltu trusts you? Lou took her arm, almost to her elbow, and shook it. Trickster that I am, my word is my bond. I will make this right, Anya. She smiled. She promised me that too, son of Kian. Chaltu hedges all her bets. Let us see if they pay off. She let go and Lou did the same. I vouch for him, son of the sea. Mananan stood, and in equal height, Anya and Mananan clasped hands in the same way. Give Fond my best, Mananan. She already sends hers, Anya. You have one year, Lou, from when you arrive back in Ireland. Mananan whistled and summoned three of his hounds. A wind blew, and his boat was pushed back into the sea. Before he left, Mananan summoned Lou to him and handed him the, a rope, tied just beyond the middle of itself. A sling, Lou realized. Just in case, boy. You have a strong moral center, and I look forward to your solution. I do not believe in it. If you do not send me too many souls, Ireland must be free of the Fomorians. But be careful in that, Lou. Everything has a price. The boat took off, pushed into the sea by a strong wind from the Calic, and went onward. Birog stepped back into the water, turning into her comely appearance. Do not cheat us, son of Kian. The wind caught her and blew her out to sea. And the ships on the horizon faded back, the mists coming forward to the shore. Folinus gave a sad whine but said no more. Anya took Lou by the shoulder. Come, boy. The Morrigan will take you back to Tara. Time will have passed, of course. Fairy time is different, as much as it drives me to madness. The Calic laughed again. What is time to an immortal, Anya? You are different. You and I do not belong to any living people, nor to the Andanashi. We simply are. 
The wind picked up again, and taking her bag of a dress, she produced a broom from it, and sitting upon it, the broom picked her up and brought her into the air, taking her north. Grow old, Lou the Longarm. I look forward to seeing you outlive your forefathers. She disappeared into the north. Lou turned back to Anya, but it was not Anya who held his shoulder, but the Morrigan. She said nothing, and soon they were gone, Inbar and Felinus joining him at the plains outside of Tata. It was warmer than it had been, later in summer and morn still. A bright orange sun rose from the east. Three ravens took off, one heading west, one heading south, and one heading north. Lou mounted his horse and rode to the palace, his mind racing for answers. Goddessy is written, researched, and produced by me, Greg Wright. Additional writing and editing by Sidney Yeager, who more favors summer than winter. I checked. Music by the amazing Scott Buckley, who can be reached at www.scottbuckley.com.au. Check us out on social media, where we've been dropping images of the gods and goddesses related to our story every so often to give you a sense of the inspiration I took in designing these characters beyond the stories themselves. Or, if you want to support the show and get early access to episodes and behind-the-scenes info, check us out on Patreon. All those links are in the description, so if you get lost, just check there. And don't follow the Ravens, please. We've lost too many souls thus far. Also, reach out. Say hi. Don't throw rice over your shoulder. Goddessy drops new episodes every Monday. See you next week.